You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. If you miss any of the first two hours, you can always check it out on the podcast page, 710sports.com. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Seattle Sports Saturday. Shout out to our own Taylor Jacobs listening halfway around the world. Yeah. We love you. Out in the, we miss the Holy you. Land. Mm-hmm. Can't wait for him to get back. But yeah, oh. that's Liddy Cruz. I'm Curtis Rogers. Here in this hour, we would have been getting you ready for Mariners baseball, but that game has been rained out today. That's still not going to stop us from asking, what do you most want to see from the Mariners this spring? That's coming up in about a half hour from now. But the Seahawks, right now, they have made their first move of the offseason. They have signed Greg Olson to a one-year deal, $5.5 million, up to $7 million uh, could be earned through incentives. So you bring in a veteran, 35 years old. He has played a lot of games in the NFL. He's got a lot of mileage on those legs. Uh, dealt with a couple of injuries in 2017 and 2018 that shortened his season, but last year bounced back, played 14 games. But you look at the Seahawks roster right now, and really the last couple of years, they have made moves that are made strictly for that season. And a lot is hinged on those players. And I don't know if a lot is hinging on Greg Olson this season. I, I don't think how he plays this year is going to determine whether or not the Seahawks make the Super Bowl or not. He's going to be a great piece to have, kind of a luxury to have on the offense. But a lot of moves in the last couple of seasons have been made where it's like, all right, this is a great move for this season, but how does this set the Seahawks up years down the road? I think Sheldon Richardson was a move Mm -hmm. that was made as a stopgap because of the Malik McDowell situation. That has had so many lasting repercussions. The butterfly effect from that, I think, is still being felt to this day. Yeah, because that's – a huge loss of your draft capital that that led to that you could argue led to the Frank Clark trade. I'm there, you know, the butterfly effect could, you could argue that I, I think Curtis doesn't have to do with how they have performed in the draft the last couple of years. I think so. I think especially the early parts of the draft, Rashad Penny has not played, I think to the level that we all had hoped for a first round running back. L.J. Collier was barely out on the field this year. Three tackles. Marquise Blair, second-rounder, wasn't active in the postseason this year. He had some flashes during the regular season, but for the most part, he wasn't he wasn't helping out at the end of the season. Now, they have had good moments in the draft. Obviously, D.K. Metcalf stands out. Chris Carson as well. Shaq Griffin. Yeah, Shaquille Griffin. Um, you know, a lot of guys. Maybe Trey Flowers. He bounces back in year three. Got good value out of out of him as a fifth round pick as his rookie, or as during his rookie season, and but. someone that had to convert their position, so mm-hmm. still really getting it cornerback under his under his feet. But are the Seahawks making moves that are setting themselves up not just for the twenty twenty season, but also for twenty one, two, three, four, five, however long that they intend to keep this thing going, which can't imagine anybody would want it to stop. I wonder, are they going away from, I guess, what made them so good early on in Pete and John's tenure was getting foundational pieces and guys who weren't just going to be good in that one season, but years down the road? 
actually think, well, one of the things I think John Schneider has done really well in a lot of cases is found veteran pieces that fit well with your system. I think one of the things that's changed, though, over the years is that it seems, for whatever reason, like they're less reliant or less willing to play young guys up front. And I know that perhaps part of that is wanting to protect the player. You know, just like in baseball, you don't want to rush someone to the bigs too quickly and squash their development because you want them to succeed long term. But also as part of that, because you now have something to protect more so than you did in the early era of your career. I think that I'm always fascinated by bias and how people's minds operate. But I think once you have something to protect, and that is your reputation of being a, you know, 10 win team or being uh, a really good team, you are less risky with your moves or what you're willing to do because new expectations are placed on you and you have the loss aversion type mentality to things. So I wonder if that's part of it. Like Pete is just a little bit more conservative now when it comes to playing some of these younger players and putting them in those big spots. I'm sure part of it is because he is a player friendly coach. He doesn't want them to fail in big moments and have that sort of soul crushing backslide for their development. I think a part of it also is that there's a lot more at stake right now than there was in the first couple of years of Pete and John's tenure. Mm-hmm. I think anything less than a postseason berth is viewed as a colossal failure right because now. Because you know now that Russell Wilson is a generational mm-hmm. player. Exactly. And because of the significant decrease in wiggle room now than what there was in 2010 and 11 and you know even parts of 2012, I think the urgency has made the Seahawks kind of move away from having patience with young players and, and allowing them to get their feet under themselves before unleashing them. And now you just kind of look at veterans across the league. I mean, even the Clowney trade was kind of a stopgap because outside of the signing of Ziggy Ansi, you hadn't really addressed the offensive line following the Frank Clark trade. And the Seahawks got really lucky in that the Texans were packing his bags and not just that, but they also chipped in, what, $8 million so the Seahawks could have him at just half the price of what he was playing for. Um, but to me, I, I think the Seahawks team right now, I don't know right off the gate if there's any free agents available that they would view as foundational pieces other than maybe Devin Clark. He's, what, 26 years old. There are, what, Chris Jones is 25, the defensive tackle from – Kansas City, Matthew Judon, I don't think is very old either. So, I mean, there are guys there, but do they leap off the page to you, maybe outside of Clowney, as guys that, if the Seahawks were to bring in, as people you could see here for four, five, six seasons in a row? Yeah, I don't know. The free agency is is much trickier in that regard. I think Schneider's more of been a, a trade person. Like, I, for instance, Quandre Diggs, I think, has potential to be here for well he's already here for the next couple of years but could be here beyond that who knows I think but actual free agents depending on how the market is I think the Seahawks have proven in in their past they're not willing to overpay too often and they would rather find another way a more creative way so I I can't see that being hey let's go out and get a foundational person in that regard other than the fact that Jadevian Clowney right now someone maybe you're willing to overpay for or at least pay pay heftily mm. for because you have such a big need and the drop-off without him is so daunting. Oh, yeah. 
And, I mean, even the guy who's probably next in line if Clowney were to go is Quentin Jefferson. He's a free agent, too. Mm-hmm. So not you're not only risking losing Clowney, but you're also risking losing the guy who is kind of waiting in the wings. I mean, maybe L.J. Collier is able to break through. I know Dave Wyman is still very high on him despite – you know, the struggles he went through in his rookie season, starting with the injury. We saw and, some flashes from Rasheem Green this year, yeah. too. He's still so young, but maybe exactly his first season, he had some mercurial times, and maybe L.J. Collier is just taking a little extra time. And, I, you know, there's been, in years past, we've seen guys kind of take a leap, but I don't know, I can't remember, you know, really the last Seahawk that went from, I guess, good rookie to amazing player. I mean, maybe it was like Chris Carson who had a good start to his rookie season, got the injury, and then in year two was a thousand yard rusher. Tyler Lockett, he had a couple of really good seasons, then exploded over the last couple of years to where he is now. But to me, I think obviously DK Metcalf is I if he doesn't take a leap in year two, I will be stunned because Year one, he showed just how good of a wide receiver is, and maybe it's going to be tough to match that level of production again. But I look at the Seahawks right now. I think the draft is where they absolutely need to improve the most if they want to get back to where they were in the early parts of Pete and John's tenure. And you look at the Chiefs, the team that just won the Super Bowl, they had kind of a really good mixture of you know, veteran free agents. Maybe it's because Patrick Mahomes is still on his rookie deal and they were able mm-hmm. to surround him with a lot of pieces and you were able to pay Frank Clark a lot of money. But they still had to plan knowing that they are going mm-hmm. to have to pay him. Yeah. Uh, a unprecedented uh, yeah. record set. At least forty million. Yeah. Whatever Dak Prescott gets, Pat Mahomes is going to get more than him. But they're a good example of how you rebuilt a defense from being bottom of the league to being at least passable, if not good, mm-hmm. in about the span of a year. Yeah. You know, you had Jones and Clark on the defensive line. You had in the secondary Tyron Matthew, who they brought over from Houston, who people wondered if he was still going to be able to play at the level that we've seen him play out his entire career. And sure enough, he was the exact honey same Badger, kind of player. Going to yeah. do Honey Badger things. And he added a, an element to that defense that they hadn't had in a long time. Yeah, I think the Chiefs are a team that I think the Seahawks could emulate. And obviously they're the world champs right now, and so everybody's gunning for them. The Seahawks have the quarterback talent to match what Pat Mahomes has done in his career. They've got the weaponry that I think Kansas City has. I think Kansas City, you know, they've got a little more speed. Speed, yeah. But I think you, you look at the numbers that a lot of guys on Seattle's offense have put up, somewhat comparable to what Kansas City has done. I think the Seahawks are in a very good position to get long-term pieces. The question is, do they feel comfortable with that and allowing them to develop and allowing them to get seasoning, or are they in a a portion of their time where they need veterans to play now in order to maximize this title window? It'll be fun to be back here in a week because we'll get combine sound. We'll we'll hear from Pete and John this week about – you know, what their intentions are here moving forward and leading up to the draft. And maybe, you know, it'll start being that time where we look at some some pieces, especially on defense, that we can start to talk about and create buzz, who we would want to see here in Seattle. Because, of course, coming up, up to the draft, it, it's like Christmas excitement. It is. It is. I think the draft's, Hope. what, April 24th or so? So we're two months away from that. 
We're just a day away from the NFL Combine. We're less than a month away from free agency. So many huge benchmarks for the Seahawks to hit here over the next couple of weeks and really going to be setting themselves up for their 2020 season. But uh, we got football going on later this afternoon over at CenturyLink Field. Seattle Dragons XFL style, they take on the Dallas Renegades. If you're headed out to CenturyLink Field today, what are you most excited to see? We'll tell you what we are because we're going to be there and uh, just some of our recaps from last week's game over you know, in their home opener against Tampa Bay. That's all coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. A lot of fun was had last week down at CenturyLink Field, the Seattle Dragons home opener, the first ever XFL game in the city of Seattle. Nearly 30,000 people showed out for the debut of the Dragons here in town, and Today, they're expecting another big crowd. I think they have 10,000 season tickets sold for this entire season. So that's your benchmark. And then all the the people just showing up at the gate there, I mean, I would expect a crowd probably very similar to what it was last week. Lydia, you were there at the stadium. What was it like to be there for the very first event uh, of this franchise's existence here in town it probably was a very unique viewing experience, something that maybe you've never experienced before. I would imagine. Yeah, I I think a I'm biased. We're both natives. We've both lived here, maybe lived other places for college or work at times in our lives. But we this is our home, and yes. and to be a part, it's just so unique when you get that opportunity to be a part of a professional sports franchise from day one. It's just we saw it with the response to the NHL tickets and and how people what were they is ten thousand within, within like twelve minutes, minutes yeah, yeah. Um, it's incredible because I think people want to be a part of something Brock Heward mentioned this they want to connect and they want to be a part of something from the ground floor up so it was just cool to see a lot of people a lot of kids especially there with their families and creating this moment where they can say, hey, I was there the very first day of the XFL in Seattle. It feels cool to be a part of history. And Seattle did not disappoint. It was it's cool, especially because this defense has been pretty remarkable. And to hear a loud crowd in CenturyLink Field because of having a defense there is very reminiscent of the uh, of the Seahawks days. It's, it's cool to see just – you flipping the channels with when the XFL is on and you see these crowds and last week Seattle was by far the most impressive crowd that I've seen uh, of any team yep and it's really not even close it's also just the the weirdness too that that comes with these games I think whether it was in New York you saw the craft singles guy guy that brought craft <laughs> singles. Uh, to to a football game and was eating them emphatically on television. Loved that. DC, they created like the longest beer snake that yeah. I've ever seen in my life. Um, and then you had the dragons costumes and coming a lot of them. out of the woodworks. I think at one point, I don't know if there was a deal somewhere for dragons costumes because there was a lot of the it was same like one. Spirit Halloween stores that pop up at. You know, maybe it's your prime delivery, (laughs) but it was cool because there was even like a section at one point where nine 
guys were wearing the same dragon costume as you representing. do yeah as you so do at a dragon's game that to me was the the coolest part people already adopting it and running with it and embracing the quirkiness yeah and you know it's it's so good to be in on the ground floor like you you mentioned because we're we're too young to remember the early days of the, the mm-hmm. mariners and the sonics and the seahawks and i think that's when we hear from fans who have been around since the infancy of those franchises, you know they're very quick to tell you, like, I've been here since day one. Like, I know what this franchise was like before it even existed. And I think that's, like, you kind of get a better understanding of why those fans have the pride that they do in those organizations because they've seen every single moment in that franchise's history from just when it was being talked about to when, you know, the first game was played to when, you know, all these great figures have come through. And I think we're going to get that feeling, especially when the NHL team comes around. Like, yeah, I'm fan since 21. Like, you know, when when we're old and, you know, the 2060s and stuff like that, and we're having to, you know, reminisce and, and whatnot about the infancy of the Seattle NHL franchise, and who knows what the NHL will look like back then. But, yeah, getting in on the ground floor is something is, is one of the coolest things. I know Sounders fans, too, very similar. You know, 09 was their first year they mm-hmm. kicked off. And now to, you know, we're 11 years deep. They've won two MLS Cups. They've, you know, won a bunch of U.S. Open Cups. They've had tons and tons of, of superstar players come through the gates uh, at CenturyLink Field. And, you know, these moments are really cool. Who knows how long the XFL is going to be around for, but to be following this team day one, even before then, because, you know, we had talked about the XFL, you know, whether it was going to be able to, succeed in the wake of what the AAF was last year. Uh, but, I, you know, two weeks in, Seattle's had the two highest TV ratings of any market in the country. They had a 6.4 in week one, 6.9 last week. I think there is an appetite for football this time of year. Yeah, really impressive, too, the local numbers, considering that many people were at the game as well. So you had people watching on home, but at home, but also out at the game. And I think, you know, you sort of expect a, a little drop off of interest after the first week. But no, here in Seattle, people still uh, tuned in to see what that was like. So when it comes to the actual football product, I think the Dragons team still finding their way a lot on offense. And they're not alone in that in the league because you are still looking for those star quarterbacks that it's just not the same level of play in the NFL. And they knew that, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they knew it was going to take some time to develop that side of things, especially you have a very short season. You don't have a ton of practice leading up to it. And that part, as Dave Wyman and Michael Bump has talked about earlier in the show, will improve over time. They believe it. But in the meantime, at least you get some pretty impressive defenses and the Seattle Dragons um, among those. You do still have some some big-name quarterbacks in terms of Cardale Jones and uh, Landry Jones playing as well today as part of Bob Stoops and the Dallas Renegades coming to town. And this will be the toughest test for the Dragons' defense yeah. today. They put up 444 yards of total offense last week, uh, Jones passing for over 300 yards. It's going to be know. weird to see Landry Jones not in an Oklahoma uniform because oh, it felt right. like he was a Sooner for 11 years. Yeah. It's also going to be really weird Bob to see Stoops. Bob Stoops not in Oklahoma right? visor or whatever. We'll get the like Oklahoma kind of accent anyway. Yeah, a little kind of I don't know. Where's he originally from? I think he was. Uh... But anyway, yeah, it's I think it a... was like on Steve's. No, not Steve Spurrier's coaching. He may have been on Steve Spurrier's coaching staff. He's got a great. 
post game quote always ready oh ready yeah with his accent so I'll be the toughest tough test for the the defense to date. I think we could see some interesting things on offense this week because I think they are going to get a little bit more creative. We've seen some other teams experiment with the like running quarterback sort of play, and you know you've got B.J. Daniels on your squad. You've Keenan got Keenan Reynolds, Reynolds on your squad. Let Keenan Reynolds cook. Well, last week he he cooked, but as a receiver. Here's Silvers to pass. Over the middle, he's got a man wide open. Keenan Reynolds. That's the way to answer. All the way to the house. The answer is 78-yard pick six with a 68-yard touchdown. 68 yards last week. The Really, the majority of the offense for the Dragons uh, in their game against Tampa Bay, but they did come up with the win. The huge interception by Marcel Frazier. Uh, in the end zone, pick six, mm-hmm. maybe the easiest pick six he'll have. The coolest but, yeah. play on yeah. the one-yard line running it back into the end zone. <laughs> they do have that three-headed monster in the backfield. They had more rushing yards than they did passing last week. The combination of Trey Williams, Kenneth Farrow, and Jaquan Gardner, it forms a nice three-headed monster. Kenneth and Trey also really active in the pass game. So it gives them some options when it comes to their offense, as Brandon Silvers continues to to try and develop chemistry with the receivers, although I think you could see some really interesting mix-ups at the quarterback spot today. I'm hoping so. That would be kind of fun to see uh, just what kind of options uh, Jim Zorn goes with on offense. Uh, the injury report, you've got Casey Williams out again, third week in a row with that quad injury. I uh, don't quite know what's holding uh, his, first, his debut up uh, because, I mean, this was a, a big time name that the Dragons yeah. made a point in drafting. Especially the homecoming. It will yeah. it will have to wait a couple more weeks as they're on the road the next two. But uh two of those three headed monster running backs you mentioned, Kenneth Farrow, uh rib injury, he's going he's probable today, and then also Jaquan Gardner with an ankle injury. That's also uh he's probably gonna play. Dantes Bird, the wide receiver, uh he's working out a knee injury, but he's still probable for today. So that's who you can expect to see out on the field at Central Link Field. Two o'clock is when that game kicks off. Uh, if you're not heading out to Central Link Field, you can also catch it on Fox today. Kurt Menefee, Joel Klatt, and our very own Brock Heward on the call. So that's going to be a fun one. If you're out there, make sure you text in to the text line 710-710. If you are on your way to Central Link Field, uh, definitely hit us up there. Also, we need your shout-outs because uh, about oh, 15, 20 minutes from now, we'll get to those. But before that... We were expecting Mariners baseball today. Uh, it got rained out, but we want to know, what do you most want to see from these Mariners during spring training? We answer that question coming up next. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. During the break, Lydia, I saw something that just did not sit right with me. Yeah. That'd be Felix Hernandez in an Atlanta Braves uniform. Up, up, it's up on my screen here. There's already a video of it. He's on MLB's homepage. He got the start for the Braves in their spring training opener. You want you want to know what his line, what he finished with today? It's probably something great, isn't it? Yeah. Two innings, no hits, one walk, two strikeouts. I mean, good yeah. for you, Felix. I know, yeah. I love you, King Felix. You deserve it. He did have a wild pitch in there, but... And I mean, also kind of a soft landing because they're playing the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Baltimore. But that's but, okay. Yeah. But go Felix. Felix Hernandez in an Atlanta Braves uniform just – it is 
stunning to see, mm-hmm. even though we've had about a you know two three weeks to kind of get used to it. But just a not a Mariners uniform. Yeah, feels weird. He's still in that number thirty four that we we know him with, but yeah, he's not a Mariner anymore. He's an Atlanta Brave. But uh, the Mariners, they were hoping to get going today, but that uh, will not be the case. Their game rained out. You will not be able to hear that today uh, coming up at noon here on 710 ESPN Seattle. But tomorrow they take on the Texas Rangers in what has now become their Cactus League opener. Yusei Kikuchi will get the start for Seattle. And there are plenty of question marks surrounding this Mariners team from wherever you look at it. But we want to know, what do you most want to see from this team during the spring and there's a lot of places we could go here you know maybe it's the back end of the rotation maybe it's just the continued development of their young players but Lydia you and I we follow this team very closely win or lose I want to know from you what is the one thing you're going to be looking most at during the spring oof that during the spring it is really just a chance to see some of those big name prospects play together i think that's a big part of it for me i want to see scott service mentioned this in leading up to the to spring training that they wanted to get those guys to keep the continuity between guys that are going to be playing in the future they believe together so to see julio and jared on the field at the same time uh, to see Evan White in there with probably a lot of the the starting day, the starting day lineup because he could be your starting day first baseman. I think I'm just really interested in that. And then also on the pitching side of things, some continuity, just some outside of Marco. Marco. Yeah, mm-hmm. I yeah. For me, it, the pitching is where I'm going to be watching the most, and it, it's definitely going to start tomorrow with Yusei Kikuchi who was brought in with a lot of expectations, who was brought in to maybe be a potential rotation anchor at some point. He was unable to do that in his rookie season, but there were times where he did kind of flash a little bit. I I look back to that starting mid against the Blue Jays late in the season where he threw a complete game to it shutout, and it's like, well, where has this guy been all the time? Mm-hmm. He, it's, it's within him, and, I mean, the Blue Jays, their lineup – even though they're young, they still have a good lineup with Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio. Yeah. A lot the of youngsters, guys, yeah. the baby bombers over there. The uh, yeah, they're all what they're sons of previous <laughs> major leaguers. Yeah. It's wild. Um, there's also Justice Sheffield, who got off to the terrible start last year in AAA after having a really good spring, which I think a lot of people coming out of spring last year, and it, it feels like forever ago. There was a lot of questions as to why Justice Sheffield was going back down to the minors when he looked so good in the Cactus League, and that maybe was a big shot to his confidence and why he struggled so much in the AAA level. But He's still so young. and he's 23? He, yeah, his attitude is great. He is the type that looks at those moments as, as opportunities, as learning opportunities. So just from my limited conversations with him, I think he – has the right attitude moving forward and doesn't get dismayed. As for Yusei Kikuchi, too, I think we have to take into account what a year he had, an emotional year he had. Yeah. You're going to a foreign country. The like Basically, your first game with the Mariners is like your idol retires. <laughs> and, I mean, you saw him on camera crying at points of that, how emotional that was for him. He lost his father in season last year. And I believe and- his wife gave 
birth of also, their first kid. Right around yeah. the same time. And that was his his dad actually said, no, I don't want you to come home while I'm sick. I, I want you to play baseball. That's your dream. That was our dream. So just imagine all of those. In the meantime, you're also going to a country where that's not your first language. You're trying to learn from people who also don't speak your first language. So adjustments that you're making. Um, it, it just I think it's so much that he went through in his first year here that it would be an, like so much cultural change for anybody. And I think I have a lot of uh, he, I think I have a lot of like positive expectations for him turn things around this year. And he's also been a pitcher that's been very open to tweaking his routine. He's not somebody that when he gets into a rut, he just stays there and rides it out. You know, we saw him mess with his delivery last mm-hmm. year. Maybe that contributed to the struggles he saw because maybe it was too much change being done too quickly for a young pitcher like that. Maybe it was a little overwhelming for him. And you know, you're going up against the best hitters in the world in Major League Baseball, and there's really no room for error. So maybe it was just a, a combination of everything that went on with you say. But I think he could be a, a good candidate for a bounce back season with the Mariners. Uh, also in that pitching staff, I would love to see Justin Dunn make the rotation coming out of spring training. What he, a likable dude. Yeah. That's somebody who has a really good head on his shoulders and someone that if you are looking for anybody to root for in this Mariners organization, uh, that's somebody because he's just he, he's everybody's friend. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's just a really laid-back guy. Uh, he has a tremendous shoe collection. Yeah, uh, which is which is always cool to see. Decent golfer, I think. I mean, yeah. he, he's he's not wasn't highly touting his game, but he, Kyle Lewis, and I can't remember who else they were. Uh, they were playing. But uh, yeah, if, if Justin Dunn can make the leap and, and get a spot in the Mariners' rotation, I think that's going to be a tremendous boost to his confidence. Still, and, just twenty four years old. Yeah, well. and I mean, I got to be honest, like I don't like Wei Yin Chen does not excite me. If he makes the rotation, I'd be like. Really, Justin Dunn couldn't make couldn't make this rotation over Wei Yin Chen, somebody who's in his mid thirties and really has no place in this organization beyond twenty twenty is just a guy to eat up innings. That to me is something I really want to see with Justin Dunn coming out of spring training. And then I think your yeah, your focus is on those young guys, but to give them some, you know, room to fail to have and also you need some veteran presence like some people that have been there before Mm -hmm. that can stabilize them in certain moments and the Mariners have had that in different ways DePoto has gotten kind of creative in the in different ways whether it's like the Wade LeBlanc's of the world coming in and Wade having that one pretty phenomenal season but he also just provided that sort of veteran leadership so maybe there are a couple pieces on this team where where you can get that because you have so many young guys. Marco definitely going to be one of those guys, but he's still only 27 years old. Yeah, the the old veteran presence at 27 <laughs> years old. Uh, who are you most looking forward to uh, seeing this spring? Text that into the text line, 710-710. How about Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez? Those mm-hmm. two guys, they, you know, we heard a couple weeks ago when Kelnick was on with Tom, Jake, and Stacy how they're, you know, Julio's my ride or die. And then we saw this week, that Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez's jersey numbers this spring are the inverse of each other's. I mean, come on. Kelnick 58, Rodriguez 85, which both those jersey numbers, not not the sexiest of jersey numbers, but for two minor leaguers to show the uh, the connection that they have, they're going to be you know wearing jersey numbers so 
closely tied to the others. Yeah, your selection options for spring training aren't aren't uh, a, a plenty because there's so many players there. Yeah. So that they still making it a focus to have a shout out to each other is pretty cool. And yeah, you love hearing that. Can you imagine having those guys out and all the personality they bring in the outfield along with Kyle Lewis in the future? I think right there, you're you're seeing the change too in baseball where people and players are allowed to exhibit more personality and more emotion. And how much fun will it be when you get that as part of your own team here in the future? Yeah, and those two, they do not lack in confidence. They have all the confidence in the world, in spades. Uh, Kelnick, you know, his mindset coming into this camp is, you know, I'm, I'm the best player here, so I want to make this team. Like, he's 20 years old. Most 20-year-olds are like, you know, I'm two, three years away from making it to the big leagues. Like, I'm being realistic here. It's like, no, Kelnick's like, I'm I'm here to take a job from somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think he's I, – I think he might make it a little hard on the Mariners to say, all right, we're going to keep you in double A right now, which – I I expect to see Kelnick at some point at T-Mobile Park this season. I don't know when that is. Maybe it's in June, July, August. Maybe it's you know when forty man call ups are in September. But I would expect to see him at some point this year. Julio Rodriguez, not so sure on on him being at the major league level at this point uh, or at any point this season. But I mean the way he is, he hit the ball in his brief stint with Modesto last year. Coming off the injury, hitting like 340 in limited time, I mean, that is that is a bat that mm-hmm. will really, really uh, open your eyes. It'll be interesting this year because it's actually the first year without 40-man call-ups. We're down to the, like the 28. 28. Yeah. yeah. You have to designate your roster mm-hmm. each day. So I think that will be really fascinating because that might change who we see down the line. You, you go from 25 uh, on your roster to 26, but then – there's no, like, 40 in the official capacity mm-hmm. later down the line. So We'll yeah. see. It, it's going to be fun this year. I know some people, the uh, the detractors and the, and the haters are out there, and that's fine. Uh, if you want to wait, if you want to just tune in, in in two years or three years, that's okay, too. But, man, I think you're going to miss out a lot of fun in the meantime. I'm, I'm super pumped for it. I, I hope you are as well. Coming up next, we give our shout-outs, and I uh, wonder if anything happened this week. It's deserving of a show. I think so. I yeah. think so. We get into that coming up next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. We need your shout-outs to the text line 710-710. That's how we do every single Seattle Sports Saturday. If you missed any single second of the three hours that we have done here today, Make sure you check out the podcast page, 710sports.com, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. We're all there. Every single hour of every single show available at your fingertips. Uh, we've got a lot of shout-outs to get to today. Uh, also, uh, you know, some score updates. Kansas knocking off Baylor in college basketball. Number three beat number one on the road, so we'll probably have a new number one seed in Darn it. college basketball. Yeah. UW doesn't have the lone yeah. win against Baylor. You can't claim it now. Mm. That would have been wild if Baylor had gone the entire season, like even winning the national championship, with just that one loss on their resume. UW. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, not anymore, but no. a really happy day for Tay. Yeah. Uh, so shout out Jayhawk to him. Fan. Uh, Jake Heaps, a big Jayhawk fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, shout out to those guys. 
Uh, let's get to the shout-outs this week. And uh, there's there's one on the text line from the 253. It says, shout-out to Brenna for saying yes to Curtis's proposal. <gasps> yes, now, what, what could they possibly be getting at? Oh, yeah, that's right. I... On Monday of this week, I proposed to my girlfriend of nearly two years, Brenna, uh, and we are we're getting married. She said yes. Yeah, Woo! we're getting married in August of this summer. So, quick engagement. No, no, no need for waiting around. Um, but yeah, it was it was really cool. We went down to Portland for the weekend. Um, I proposed on the Willamette River right there. Uh, got down on one knee, did the whole thing. She she had to she tried to get me to take her to the bathroom beforehand and I was like nope we we got to nope. get this done cuz yep, my confidence was at at its <laughs> highest right there and I didn't want to let that moment pass so. this is the moment you knew yeah. um but yeah she said yes everybody's excited parents are excited her the parents ring are excited you have to tell people about is really special yeah the ring uh belonged to my grandmother uh it was her ring uh and so it was really cool to be able to Passed down that heirloom from my grandmother to it's my beautiful. fiance. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, you know I catch her staring at it all the time. The drive home from Portland, uh, I'd glance over and she'd just be staring at her ring finger, like, "What you doing over there?" And yeah, she's just like, oh nothing. Yeah, but yeah, Don't worry about it. Uh, you know, really cool. Uh, all the shout-outs on on social media and just listeners this week, people I've never met before. You know, given the congratulations and the, you know, just the how excited they were, you know, Brenna and I, we cannot thank you guys enough. Um, uh, there was an interesting wrinkle to <laughs> our proposal or to our just relationship is that we kept it very private around work because uh, she works in our building. Uh, we don't work on the same she floor. She keeps us on the air. Yeah, she. What you need to know. Yeah, she is very important to what goes on around here. And, uh, you know, I increase that level of importance because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, getting uh, getting wifed up here. Yeah, so. <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah. I'm That's my shout out. I know if Tay were here and if he's listening, this would exactly be his shout out would be to both of you. Because, I mean, if you've never had the pleasure of meeting either Siraj or Brenna, they are just two of the nicest, most genuine, hardworking people and when those two people uh, find each other, you are excited. And then when something like this happens, you're just ecstatic. So I'm so happy for you guys. Thank you. You're Thank just you. wonderful people. You deserve the world. And uh, I'm excited. Cinna 2020. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's an okay moniker. I didn't really ask permission. It's I either that or that one. It's either that or Burtis, Burtis. which <laughs> is, uh, you know, yeah, Cina, whichever let's one. Cina. Yeah. Tweet at uh, which which hashtag should we go with? Uh, this is so incredible. So August, best month of the year, by the way. Yeah. Not like I'm born in it, but you know, I just I I'm right. partial to it, but I think it's a great choice. Yeah, we we picked that because it's not quite yet the start of football season. We had all of our friends who are huge football fans, which I mean, we both work here, so we have yeah plenty of friends that are massive, massive football fans. We tried to avoid. A weekend during the fall because everybody's got one eye on you know the TV that mm-hmm. their game is on and one eye on the wedding. No, we want your full divided. We need attention. your attention. Yeah. Also, mentioning the fact that you both work a ton uh, yeah. on the weekends and things like that. So before football season kicks in, also it almost is a necessity. Yeah, so we had to, and you know I'm got a balance doing Mariners post game too coming up during the season. So 
we tried to find a time where it kind of takes a little bit of a lull yeah. before it picks back up. But, yeah, we're super excited. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll probably be sharing the, the, the journey to the wedding here and there. Uh, everywhere you go. So, yeah, we're super excited and uh, we could not be more thankful for just all the, the hugs and, and, and handshakes and words of wisdom. Uh, <laughs> I, you, Dave Wyman and Graz, you know, those two guys, <laughs> they've been married forever mm-hmm. and they both were like, you just made the best decision of your life. And I, I, I tend to agree with that. I agree with that too because you remind me of them in that their significant others are truly their best friends and it's not in a contrived way no it is genuine it's genuine the way that they talk about their wives and that reminds me of you too where it's like (laughs) we just genuinely love hanging out together and spending time and now we get to do it forever it's awesome that's our favorite (laughs) thing to do is to just like stay in watch a movie do nothing and hang out yeah Uh, quality time what uh can i ask for spoilers on what's going to make to the wedding playlist are there any like must-haves for like the dance floor. Yeah, I mean, like Casey and JoJo okay, all my life. Oh, yeah. yep. All right, um, so slow it down a little bit. Yeah. Right. Uh, let's see. Are there any crowd pleasers that really have to be on there, like that you just make you dance, that you... Yeah, I mean, there, there's going to be some... some Text anthems. in your suggestions for Curtis's I wedding playlist. I feel like playlist. our guy... I feel like our guy Taylor, uh, oh. he is like a wedding playlist curator. Well, Taylor also attends. Yeah, um, he knows... 800 weddings per year. Yeah, so we may have to consult him uh, on just what is the list of bangers that need to exactly. be played to get everybody going. But It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be perfect. Just like your proposal, you know, they've got like a couple wrinkles in the story, but that makes it all the Oh, yeah. Like better. the fact that it, it went off or the fact that like if it had gone off without a hitch, I would have been kind of a little disappointed. I know. You know? Who wants a perfect proposal story? No. Exactly. So, yeah, it's it's unique to us. And uh, yeah, it's really cool to be able to uh, share that with with everybody here. It, it's It's cool to like be able to kind of talk about it freely now. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really cool to hear all the, the, the great things that people said our way. Heck, even Channing Fry, Arizona basketball legend, my buddy, Justin Myers, who, if you're a longtime listener to this station, he used to host here years ago. Um, but he now works down in Portland. Channing Fry is an analyst for the Blazers TV station. Uh, and he got Channing Fry to film a, a shout out for me and my fiance Brenna. So, I mean, shout out to Channing Fry. Uh, shout out to everybody. Just a tremendous week, and I, I couldn't be happier. And I, I know Brenna couldn't be happier. And we're we're super excited. We love you guys. It's going to continue because you know the love will will continue. In August, <laughs> we'll be looking forward to it. Cinna twenty twenty. We're not going to go with uh, Burtis. Yeah. yeah, I think that's probably a no, a hard pass. But text in seven ten seven ten. That's going to do it for us here today. Uh, yeah, if you missed any of the show, check it out on the podcast page seven ten sports. Dot com. No Mariners baseball coming your way this afternoon. Game got rained out, but tomorrow they will take on the Texas Rangers. Pre-game show begins at noon. First pitch is at 12.05. That's going to do it for us here today. This has been Seattle Sports Saturday on 710 ESPN Seattle.